Good evening, and welcome to Colorado Decides, a joint production of Colorado Public Television, CBS4, and KOA News Radio. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. Joining me tonight is Gabrielle Bryant, host of the New Black Experience here on Channel 12, and political analyst Eric Sonderman. Tonight, we continue our coverage of the 2016 election by focusing on the race for Denver District Attorney. Joining us for the next 30 minutes are Democratic candidate Beth McCann and independent candidate Helen Morgan. Everyone, thank you very much for joining us. Thank we you. We have limited time, so let's get right to it. Eric, do you want to ask our first question? Absolutely. I think one of the interesting features of this race is we have a Democratic candidate, as Dominic mentioned, Democrats being the dominant party in Denver, and an independent candidate. Can you talk about why district attorneys evolved as a partisan office in the first place? Uh, Lady Justice, the statue of Lady Justice, we all know. She's blindfolded. Why is there partisanship in this race to begin with? Beth, we'll give you first crack. Well, that is the way it was established many, many years ago. Ever since I've been aware of it, it has been a partisan race. Um, a lot of people don't realize that. They think it's a city office, so it's part of the city council mayor race, um, which is nonpartisan. But I think that um, in the development of uh, the, the state position, because it is considered a statewide office, and all of the statewide offices are partisan offices, so it just evolved that the DA's office would be partisan. You know, it's done by judicial districts, so most counties, or most DA's offices have more than one county. In Denver, it's just Denver City and County, but that's why it's a statewide office, because many of the DA's have many counties in their district. Don't disagree with anything Beth has to say. I do disagree that it's a, it should be a political office. And I don't think Beth was telling you that it should be. But uh, in other states, especially in the South, they have, in fact, depoliticized the DA's offices, made them non-affiliated races. Uh, one of the reasons that I made a decision to run as an independent is I don't think politics should have anything to do with who your chief law enforcement officer is. So it's an excellent idea for a change, Eric, and we will take you up on it next year. <laughs> Gabriel, you want to chime in? Yeah, this uh, question will start off with Helen first, or Helen, excuse me. Um, either one of you will be Denver's first uh, female district attorney. What impact do you see this will have? Um, the second part of that is what will you do to ensure that uh, women and people of color are working in the DA's office? The one thing that I know, having spent the summer with Beth, actually over a year with Beth, is that both of us are bridge builders and not bridge destroyers. It's very important for both of us to engage the entire community in what we do, and both having spent careers in doing that. I've spent my career in the DA's office, Beth has spent time in the legislature, and then in other offices where you engage with the community. So I think that that's the number one difference people are going to see. I don't think either one of us have an ego that's going to prevent us from listening to people that disagree with us and making change based on best decisions, not on what makes us look best. Um, trying to involve people of color and also women in the office is a very challenging thing, Gabriel. Right now, I am chief of our county court division. And what we know is the best way to get qualified lawyers, deputies, into our office is to have them as interns for the summer. And so when I became chief of county court, I actively sought out um, women and people of color to be interns. And it's really difficult. Unfortunately, the uh, DU Law School has uh, 
not as many people as one would like who are of color applying for the intern position in the law school itself, and the same with the problem with CU. So I think we're going to have to take affirmative steps. It's not good enough to invite people to apply. We have to go out and find people. I think that that means partnering with law firms who are prepared to potentially pay for an internship in our office during the summer, because when you are qualified, no matter who you are, the option to work in a DA's office where you get no money for a summer and you're looking at graduating with $100,000 for anybody isn't appealing. So we're going to have to take, as I said, some affirmative steps to attract people who are qualified. Thank, Thank you. you. Beth, same Yes. Question. So I am thrilled that the next DA in Denver is going to be a woman, whether it's myself or Helen. Um, I think that's going to be a really big step for Denver. Uh, I do think that women tend to be more collaborative and also looking at things maybe with a, the bigger picture and not perhaps as much of an ego-involved um, situation. And um, I think that women also bring um, a perspective on certain kinds of crimes, sex assault, domestic violence, child abuse. Um, and women and children are victims of crime at an alarming rate. So I think the ability to understand um, those kinds of crimes is really important. Uh, then as far as um, people of color and women in the office, I'm very committed to increasing the diversity in the office. And I actually met with our new dean at the law school at DU, Bruce Smith, who just came from Indiana, where they had a very interesting program where they did provide, um, it's postgraduate, but it's right after students graduate, where they then go into a DA's office and participate as young lawyers. Um, and so I'm very excited about the option of, of doing that here in Denver, and he's very excited about it. So it will be a priority. Thank you. Eric? One of the defining pieces of our time these days is the growing rift between certain communities, largely communities of color, and the police department. I think that's probably the defining issue in, in your primary election, Beth, and in, in this one. Let's talk about that for a minute. What do you do to heal that rift? And even more specifically, looking back 12 years, the current district attorney has now served almost 12 years. To my knowledge, there's not been a prosecution of a police officer for misconduct or worse during that period. Can you point to any cases where if you've been sitting there for the last 12 years, you might have taken a different approach, Beth? Sure. Um, I mean, Eric, this is one of the biggest challenges facing the new district attorney. Um, we must have a trusting relationship between the police department and the communities that they serve. Uh, we can improve this relationship by continuing to have neighborhood meetings, getting the police involved in the community more. I know Chief White has been working on this, um, and I see police officers at a lot of the meetings that I attend talking to community members and getting involved in community. So I think that uh, communication and relationship building is critically important. I also think we need to give our officers more tools so that they are able to de-escalate situations, particularly people with mental health issues. And there's actually a, a pretty exciting program going on called Co-Responders, where mental health professionals actually go with officers to scenes where they think there's a mental health component. 
Um, it's been used in Boulder quite successfully for a while, and the officers there were resistant at first, but I think have come to really appreciate having that option. So there are a number of things that, um, that we can be doing in the DA's office and in the community to increase that relationship. I have seen um, at least one case where I thought filing sh there should have been a filing, and that was the one uh, where Judge Martinez actually ruled that the DA's office should have filed against one of the deputy sheriffs who threw a man who was in handcuffs and shackles up against a window in the courtroom. Um, and I thought the video was pretty clear that there was criminal behavior. Um, the DA's office didn't file it. I don't think the investigation that they did was thorough. Um, and the judge found that as well. So there are instances where um, I would have made a different decision. Thank you, Eric. The first thing that we need to do as a DA's office is dissuade ourselves of the notion, trust us, it's going to be okay. And I think that that's the very foundation of what has been happening in our community. We issue letters in fatal shootings, for example, that are extremely well written on a not particularly exciting website, and we invite people to read 20 or 30 pages of fairly dense legal prose to explain why we made a particular decision. And so the first thing that I want to do as DA, and it will start on day one, and um, in case you haven't had the exciting opportunity to review my 90-day plan, it is now on the website, HelenMorganForDA.com, is we will establish not only as I am looking at fatal police shootings and in-custody deaths, an independent review group to do exactly the same thing outside of our jurisdiction, because people need to know that people who do not have a relationship with the Denver Police Department are looking at the same facts as the people who do have a relationship. At the conclusion of the decision, obviously, if we decide to charge somebody, we won't be talking a lot about the case until it has gone through the judicial process. But if it does not, not only will we issue a letter, but we are also I will look forward to explaining to people why we made the decisions that we made in the community where people are. And before something happens, I look forward to explaining our process. There are a lot of very smart people in Denver who have absolutely and utterly no idea what happens when there's a fatal police shooting. As it relates to allegations of police misconduct that involve serious bodily injury, such as the one that Beth just mentioned, I'm going to establish a protocol by which two prosecutors will independently look at the case and once again make separate decisions about whether or not somebody should be charged. That's the transparency piece that is so important. And if we make a decision, just like the case Beth has referred to, where we decide not to charge with Mr. Waller, we will issue a letter at the time of no file so that we don't end up in a court three or four years later trying to explain what we did. And one of the frustrations about that case was there was no information in our office that detailed why we didn't file. We had a prosecutor who stood in court and said, well, this is the evidence as I remember it. But there is no file there to question. Um, Eric, I take a little bit of an issue. We have charged police officers in Denver in the last 12 years. Um, but what we have not charged is any incident re relating to a fatality. So either an in-custody death um, or um, on-the-street death. Um, those charges um, have resulted in some convictions. A sex assault particularly comes to mind. But second, the other two were not guilty at trial, which really goes to you know, police officers have the right to use force. And I think that that is part of our challenge as a society is it may be justified, but is it right? And how do we only get to that place where shootings and imposition of force 
is not only justified, but it's also right. And I think um, Chief White is doing a good job addressing that. And I think it's an, it's an area that where everybody wants to move forward. Gabrielle? Alrighty, to piggyback off of Eric's question, given the nature of your role, you'll likely work on cases that are relevant to Denver's black community and its advocates. Um, what are your thoughts on the Black Lives Matter movement locally and nationally? We'll start with you. Great. I, when I announced my candidacy in September of 2015, one of the first meetings that I was delighted to have was with a group of people that included representatives from the Black Lives Matter. They are an important voice and part of that um, demand for change that must occur. So I think that what they have done is brought to the forefront a problem that we have had ever since policing existed, right? I mean, it's not a new problem. Um, it's something that we've seen for a very long period of time. And so what's important for me is to work with groups like that, to listen. You know, and I often say, Gabrielle, I, I have no idea what it is to be a person of color in Denver. I don't. Nothing's going to change that. So my number one job is to listen. And then after I have listened and had hard conversations, move forward and trying to make things different. Because there is one thing that I know being a prosecutor for 22 years, I do not have all the solutions. So engagement, community engagement comes first and then we'll move from there. So I welcome the Black Lives Matter movement. I think they have done a very good job of raising this issue um, over and over and not letting us forget about it or let it um, uh, fade away. Uh, I think that the criminal justice system does um, have some inherent racism present in the system. I mean, there are a lot of different components of that. So one of the things that I'm really committed to doing is tracking cases in our office to learn whether or not there is implicit or unconscious bias taking place in how we treat different defendants for similar crimes. Um, because I just don't want to tolerate racial bias in the, in the DA's office. Um, there are also other parts of that system, the judges, the police officers, and I think we all working together can really um, keep this in the forefront uh, of our thoughts about criminal justice and how we approach members of, of different races. In the legislature, we've been working on, we worked on a group of bills to address some of these issues, racial profiling, um, database, how databases are kept, um, some of the issues around stops, so that we are at least making some legislative changes that we hope will help with this issue. Um, so I think there's some good things happening in Denver. I plan to have advisory councils on different issues with people of color, people uh, from the LGBTQ community and other communities so that I'm always hearing from them when things are going on that I should be aware of in the community. And then I can explain to them when we have decisions that are being made and the basis for those decisions. Thank you. Eric, you're next up. Let me mention a name to Clarence Moses L. I'm anything but a bleeding heart, but for the life of me, I cannot figure out why he is being prosecuted again. I know this is not a decision either of you have made, and the case is scheduled to go to trial before one of you will take office next January. But uh, what do you make of that prosecution for someone who has already served a quarter of a century behind bars? I'm not sure who's up. I think Beth is. So, Eric, I have publicly stated that I would not pursue a retrial of that case. Um, 
And there's several reasons. I think the thing that bothers me the most is the destru destruction of the evidence after um, Mr. L, Moses L, had collected over $1,000 from fellow inmates to have the, the DNA tested on that evidence. And there was an order that the evidence should be preserved. Um, but it got destroyed. So he was uh, deprived of the opportunity to prove his innocence, even though that's not the standard. But um, that part really disturbed me. And then, you know, the looking at the facts of the case where you have um, a situation where the victim initially named three people and he was not one of them, uh, and then you have this man proclaiming his innocence consistently throughout the 26 years that he served, then you have a confession by one of those people who was identified as a, as a perpetrator. Uh, we have a confession from him. Um, and then the destruction of the evidence and the fact that primarily the primary evidence in the case was a dream that the victim had. So I just think it's not a great use of resources at this point to spend the time and energy to retry that case when there's so many other cases that could use that attention. Eric, I'm at a disadvantage here because I currently work in the Denver District Attorney's Office and therefore ethical provisions prohibit me from making public statements about cases that are going on. But I'll say this, nobody sitting here has read the file. And I think it is a very dangerous thing to do to make decisions on whether you go forward or not without having read the file. Beth and I have been in discussions and in forums before because this is a question that a lot of people have. Knocked on over 6,000 doors this summer and people have asked me about that very case. They don't always get the name right, but they know, they know what they are concerned about. Um, and that does not mean to say that we shouldn't all be concerned by somebody who did not commit a crime being in the Department of Justice or being in the Department of Corrections. It's the worst thing that can happen, right? There's the phrase, better 100 go free than one innocent person be convicted. But at the same time, I don't see how you can say publicly, without having reviewed a file, without having met a victim, relying on basically press releases and some court filings, that you won't go forward on one case or another. Gabrielle? Alrighty. Uh, homelessness in Denver has essentially been criminalized with ordinances like the camping ban. Uh, what are your thoughts on prosecuting cases related to Denver's homeless population? So, Gabrielle, the reality is we really don't see those in the Denver District Attorney's Office. Um, the majority of those cases will be municipal ordinance violations, and they're handled by the City Attorney's Office, which has literally thousands and thousands of cases a year. But I think what this situation highlights is the paucity of mental health treatment and real social service support for people who need it in Denver. Um, I reformulated our drug court back in 2007 and one of the first things we did was work with the Coalition for the Homeless to try and find housing for people because you know if an addict doesn't have somewhere to live the likelihood of them being able to address the addiction issues is so much less. So I think it's important although specific to your question we really don't have that much to do with it, but generally, we all need to be involved in providing better services for people who need it most because that's what keeps them out of jail, right? It, it, if somebody has the support system they need, for example, we just started medically assisted treatment um, it, within the jail for people coming out of the jail with heroin issues, they can now access methadone. I think that's a fabulous program because that addresses some of the issues that people have. It will assist in them not going back to using, I and mean, it then may help them in the long run. So. 
Um, a little bit of an expanded question on that, but very, very important. A public health approach to addiction and mental illness is the only way we're going to dig out of this situation that we're in. So I think homelessness is a huge challenge for Denver right now. We've seen an increase. You know, I've been um, talking to neighborhood groups, uh, business owners along the 16th Street Mall, and then the neighborhood groups down in lower downtown, particularly the Riverfront Park Association. And they um, talk about the fact that they're afraid to take their kids in the park because it's been over taken over by um, mostly young people down at the Riverfront Park. But there's a lot of drug usage. Um, it's intimidating. There's a lot of trash. It smells, sanitation issues. Um, on the other hand, I don't think we can criminalize homelessness. We've got to figure out a way to find the services that Helen was mentioning, putting resources into mental health uh, treatment, but also places where we can put people or have them go if they don't have a home. Um, because I know that the city is really struggling with, you know, doing sweeps. That's not necessarily a great answer. Uh, but on the other hand, um, when you drive along Park Avenue, you know, and you see everybody lying there and all the trash and so forth, uh, it, is a, it is an issue that the city's got to come to grips with. Um, as Helen said, the DA's office doesn't see a lot of those cases. It's mostly city attorney related, but certainly the DA can be a voice for let's work together as a community to find some solutions. Thank you. We're uh, nearly to our time, our closing statements. Let me chime in with, a, uh, I think, a, a quicker question, although it's a big topic. Um, the idea of the death penalty, capital punishment, are you both against using it? Beth, I think I remember you are. Yes, uh, I have stated publicly that I am opposed to the death penalty, both for moral reasons and also the resources, the emotional strain, the length of time that it takes, uh, even if you get a conviction, which I think is highly unlikely in Denver. Helen? Uh, as your next law enforcement, uh, chief law enforcement officer in Denver, I believe your number one role is to support the Constitution and the laws of both Colorado and the United States. And oath I took 22 years ago. And one of the options in extreme cases is consideration of the death penalty. Now, the reality is in the last 12 years, the Denver DA's office has sought it once and was not successful. So are we ever going to see a case that is that heinous, that is that awful? that I would consider it after consultation with victims' family, defense lawyers, and anybody else who wants input? I don't know the answer to that question. I suspect no, but I won't say no. My personal opinion should not interject in the job that I have, which is to be an ear to everyone in Denver, including victims' families. And I don't think before um, that crime occurs, you can say to a victim's family, I will not consider it. Okay. Well, it is. Uh, Eric, did you have a, a quick one? I, I, I thought we might have time for a very short one. Yep. Will you prosecute your own cases as district attorney, or will you be more involved in management and community outreach, et cetera? Beth? So, primarily, I think the job of the DA is to manage the office and to make the con connections with the community um, and be a voice. Uh, I would love to try a case. Um, I really enjoy courtroom work, so it'll kind of depend on how things work out, but I welcome the opportunity. Eric, I have one homicide case right now. I've committed to the family to stay on that case. I've developed a close bond with them. I don't see how the DA has time to do any other cases. Let's get to our closing statements. We asked our candidates for one-minute closing statements apiece. Uh, we flipped a coin before the debate, uh, so Beth, you'll offer our first woman a closing statement. 
Thank you, Dominic. Um, it's time for a new direction in the Denver DA's office. We need to be providing more alternatives for young people so that one mistake doesn't ruin a kid's life. We also need to be providing better alternatives for people with mental health and substance abuse issues. We are incarcerating too many people in this country, particularly people of color. And the DA's office needs to be more in the community, accountable, and transparent. I have a unique background to lead the office forward. I prosecuted as a chief deputy district attorney here in Denver. I've managed the law as the manager of safety for Denver, and now I've made the law as a state representative. I'm Beth McCann. As your next Denver district attorney, I will work with the community. I will work hard to keep the city safe, and I welcome the opportunity to lead Denver forward um, in criminal justice reform and to provide justice for all. Thank you. Beth, thank you. Helen, one minute, the floor is yours. Thank you very much. Beth and I have highlighted our similarities today, but the reality is in November, there is a stark choice for voters in deciding who is going to be your next district attorney. Do you want somebody like me, who has been a prosecutor for 22 years, who took the oath in 1994 to do justice and has spent every day of her career trying to do that? Or do you want somebody like my opponent who has been a politician for the last eight years? Do you want somebody who has handled over 9,000 cases and has the support of both the police department, victims groups, and community groups to see real change? Or again, a politician with endorsements from those who endorse others? And finally, do you want somebody with a record of change? Somebody like me who reformulated our drug court back in 2007, who very recently restarted our felony drug court to give people the treatment that they need, or somebody who is making promises and nothing more. I very much look forward to your support. I'm Helen Morgan. I'm an independent candidate for Denver District Attorney. That is all the time we have for our look at the Denver District Attorney race. I'd like to thank our candidates for both joining us, Beth McCann and Helen Morgan. I'd like to thank my fellow panelists, Gabrielle Bryant and Eric Sonderman. If you'd like to get more information about the general election races and ballot issues, please visit our websites at cpt12.org, cbsdenver.com, and koanewsradio.com. Stay tuned for our look at Amendment 72 and the cigarette tax amendment coming up at 9.30 p.m. For everyone here at Colorado Public Television, I'm Dominic Tassuti. Thank you very much for watching. Good night.